0: Sentire media. Hello, everyone. You're listening to a history of Italy. Episode eighty four. The War of the Italian Vespers. In the last two episodes, we saw that the Sicilians had rebelled against the rule of Charles of Anjou and started to massacre all the Frenchmen they found on their island, in an event that came to be known as the Sicilian Vespers. The rebels knew perfectly well that Charles wasn't going to sit back and just take it, so they appealed to the person who was supposedly his boss, i.e. the Pope, who at the time was Martin IV, Now, why do I say he was the boss? Well, you will remember that it was the Pope who called in Charles of Anjou in the first place, not this Pope, with the understanding, at least on the Church's part, that the kingdom being granted actually belonged to the Church, and the Angevin would hold it as a vassal. Now, 16 years later, it was very clear that the French were the bosses of the current Pope, who was also French, and owed his papacy to Charles and to his faction. Needless to say, Pope Martin did not come out on the side of the Sicilians. To his credit, Charles first proposed reforms, but by now things were far too gone to think about going back. He prepared to invade. Before we proceed, Let me give you some geography. My grandmother, my English nan, to be precise, loved to recite the geographical reminder Long-legged Italy kicked poor Sicily out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, if this is the case, said kick is in a position in which Sicily has just left the contact point with the mainland or the kick was rather wimpy because the top eastern point of Sicily is very close to the toe of the mainland. Indeed, at its closest point, between Punta Pezzo in Calabria and Gazzirri in Sicily, there are only around 3.15 kilometres. If you were to walk that distance in a straight line, it would take you less than an hour. To give you another reference point, the English Channel, in its narrowest point, is over 10 times wider. The most important city on the Sicilian side is actually Messina. In fact, the strait is called the Strait of Messina. For decades, they have been talking about building a bridge over the strait and have spent millions of euros on various projects, but nothing has actually been built yet. The last time anyone spoke about building a bridge was during the Berlusconi government in the early 2000s. But back to our Middle Ages, controlling Messina and its port was the key to moving freely from the mainland to Sicily. So it was that in the summer of 1282, Charles lay siege to the city of Messina. The city put up a brave defence, but they knew that they could not last with a superior army, with land forces and a fleet against them. They did have a fighting chance, though. They could call in help. Last time, thanks to the great contribution of David Cott of the History of Spain podcast, we learned that Peter III of Aragon just happened to be married to Constance II of Sicily, daughter of King Manfredi. Luckily, Peter was in the area, in northern Africa. So, when a Sicilian delegation showed up asking for him to pop around and take the kingdom of Sicily with their blessing, he readily accepted. If you're not a geography genius, as I am not, you may be thinking, hold on, Africa to Italy can't be round the corner. Well, if you take a good look at a map of Sicily, you will see that the southernmost tip of the island is actually further south than the northernmost tip of Africa. The distance from modern-day Tunisia to the main island of Sicily is around 145 kilometres, or around 90 miles. So, and here if there are any experts in medieval ships travel, please write in and correct me if needed, a ship travelling at around 7 knots, which is around 12 kilometres an hour, could easily cover the distance in less than a day. If, instead of the main island of Sicily, you consider the small island of Pantelleria, then the distance is actually half that. Incidentally, Pantelleria is well worth a visit. But while waiting to get there, you may want to taste Pantelleria capers or passito wine, a great combination with Sicilian cannoli. If you're not a huge fan of flying, you might want to look into getting there by boat, as the airport on the island has the shortest runway I have ever seen, and you take off and land between two mountains. Not the most reassuring experience. Anyway, putting aside the tourist promotion, the Aragonese fleet was diverted to Messina first and managed to lift the siege of the city. This was also thanks to the great skill of the commander, a man by the name of Ruggiero, Roger di Lauria. He was a Sicilian noble from Lauria of which his father had been lord. His father had died at the Battle of Benevento, in which Charles of Anjou had defeated Manfredi. Roger had fled in exile to Barcelona, where he had entered the service of the king. Ruggiero di Lauria was hailed as one of the best naval commanders of his age, and never lost a battle. Unfortunately for the Sicilian Aragonese, this was also true when he switched sides but we'll talk about that later. Meanwhile, King Peter of Aragon himself landed in Trapani in Sicily on the 30th of August, 1282, and made his way to Palermo, where the Sicilian Parliament made the official offer of the crown of the Kingdom of Sicily. In the meantime, Ruggiero di Lauria didn't stop at Messina and headed up to start taking Calabria, the toe part of the boot that is italy it goes without saying that charles of anjou was not at all pleased with how things had played out he went moaning to his pet pope martin who very quickly obliged by not only excommunicating peter but also declaring him deposed of his holdings back in spain he even went so far as to pull another French Charles out of his hat, Charles of Valois, who was to take Peter's Spanish holdings. So, to summarize, according to the French and the Pope, the Kingdom of Sicily belonged to Charles of Anjou, and the Kingdom of Aragon belonged to Charles of Valois. According to the Aragonese, both the Kingdom of Sicily and the Kingdom of Aragon belonged to Peter. What's more, Peter actually held the kingdom of Aragon and now all of the island of Sicily and part of Calabria. Are we all in the picture then? Right. My dear long-time listeners will have understood by now that an excommunication was no laughing matter, but it was also not the end of the world. Especially now that the Pope was seen as being a French puppet – and there were quite a few people in Europe who were not too keen on the French or the Pope, and these included Rudolf of Habsburg, newly restored Byzantine Emperor Michael Paleologus, and the Ghibellines in Italy, then Pisa and Venice, and to top it off, King Edward I of England. In the end, the effect of the excommunication and deposition actually came out to a big fat nothing. With Italy and Europe picking sides and lining up, it seemed that war was inevitable. It was at this point, however, that Charles of Andrew had a bright idea. He and Peter would settle things as gentlemen with a good old duel. Charles, however, was about 15 years Peter's senior, so... It wasn't going to be a one-on-one business. They would each pick 99 of their best knights and fight it out in a mini-battle that would decide the fate of the Kingdom of Sicily. Despite his advantage on the ground, like Marty McFly when someone called him chicken, Peter accepted the challenge. The duel was to take place on neutral ground, which at the time meant Bordeaux which was in English hands. Charles of Anjou showed up with his nephew Philip III, King of France. Louis IX had died back in 1270. They were in full colours with pomp and circumstance. Peter showed up as well and was a bit more low-key. The year was 1283, so neither side had Google Calendar or Outlook to send each other the appointment. They agreed on the place, check. They agreed on the date, check. However, they had not agreed on the time. Peter showed up early, waited a while, saw no one, and declared himself the victor by forfeit, calling Charles a coward, and then quickly left. Charles showed up later, waited a while, saw no one, and declared himself the victor by forfeit, calling Peter a coward, and then quickly left. Absolutely nothing came out of it, but I find it most amusing. Peter did not head back to Sicily, but went to defend his kingdom of Aragon, which was under threat from invasion by the French king Philip III. He did indeed invade, but in the end was not successful roger of lauria the sicilian aragonese admiral was doing quite well meanwhile because in 1284 he defeated an angevin fleet led by charles's son very originally named charles at the battle of the gulf of naples charles junior had had very strict orders to stay in port and wait for the reinforcements which were on the way with his father. Roger of Lauria knew that he must attack the existing fleet, which was more or less the same size as his, before those reinforcements could arrive. He arrived under the cover of darkness on the 4th of June, and started to perform raids to provoke Charles Jr. and get him to come out. The young Charles could not resist the slight on his honour and sent his galleys out in a disorderly single file to give chase. Ruggiero feigned a retreat down the coast to Castella Mare, where he had some other galleys waiting. Once there, the whole fleet turned and, in a crescent form, attacked the pursuing Angevin ships. It was a crushing victory and young Charles himself was captured. They went through a whole mock trial and a fake condemnation to being beheaded. Perhaps more than anything for a psychological revenge after in 1268 Charles the father had beheaded the last of the Hohenstaufen Corradino in Naples. On this occasion Laurea also asked for Manfredi's widow to be released. She was being held in Castel de L'Ovo, in Naples. Things were now looking pretty good for Peter of Aragon, as 1285 rolled in. As the year progressed, things couldn't have been better. On the 7th of January, Charles of Anjou, his arch-enemy, died. Then in the spring, the French Pope Martin IV died. Autumn brought even more good news with the man who had attempted to take his kingdom away from him, Philip III, also dying in France in October. What better way for Peter to celebrate all of this good fortune than to die himself on the 11th of November in that fateful 1285. So, Like a performance of Hamlet or a Quentin Tarantino film, 1285 had left the stage full of cadavers of the protagonists of this part of our story. However, we lovers of history know that the show must and did go on. The War of the Italian Vespers needed to be seen to its end, and we still have another 17 years to go. The dead Pope would have a successor and the three dead kings would have their heirs. We'll see all about that next week. Thanks very very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters the Matilde di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level Aaron W. Benjamin Debra S, Eric R, Lorenzo, Maddie, Mattia, Monica T, Paul A, Sean M, Scott, Thomas and YR. Thanks also to the Marguerite Hack and Galileo Galileo level. Anthony G, C Lane, Chanel, Dean V, Eric W, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignazio, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist, Leninist, Sicilian, Renee B, Reactionary, Venetian, Roberta D., Rodney N, Scott L, Shelby and Stephen and the tippy top super level Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M and Brandon S who has recently moved up. Thanks very much for the move, Brandon. I would also really like to thank Davide T for his generous PayPal donation and Sean M and Peter and Sally who have recently joined the Patreon family. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. I also have quite a few reviews. I haven't been thanking for them for a while. Uh, Thank you very much, Sienna, Uh, Gina, Rob K., who mentions that the theme song of the podcast is the best ever. So just a reminder that that song is by singer-songwriter Marco Veniani and also Hermus and Downinke. I hope I'm getting that right. In any case, thanks very much to everyone again for listening. And until next time, Arrivederci. Well, men, we have been waiting for hours now.
1: Um, sir, we have waited a quarter of an hour ago.
0: My good captain, time must be playing tricks on you. As I was saying, we have been here for hours now, and Charles has not shown his cowardly face, so the day is ours! Hooray! Yay!
1: Um, Sire, I think I see some men arriving in the distance.
0: What? Where?
1: Over there, Sire.
0: Captain, those are simply grazing cows.
1: But, Sire, the cows seem to have men on them.
0: Silly man, there must be something tall standing near the cows.
1: Like what, Sire?
0: Well, a herd of giraffes.
1: A herd of giraffes, sir, in Bordeaux, raising with some cows.
2: You were saying, Captain?
1: Yes, sire, definitely I heard of cows and giraffes. Silly of me to not see it, sire.
0: Better get going now. I hear those giraffes can be pretty aggressive. Several hours
2: later. Aha! There is no one here. That coward Peter of Aragon feels me too much and has run like the rabbit he is. Victory is ours! Hey! hey! Uh, but, sire, uh, I think uh, I see something moving in the distance. Uh, perhaps we can still catch them? Men? Where do you see them, captain? Over there. You must be mistaken, soldier. They look like a herd of wild boar. Time to go now. Uh, Boar, sire? Uh, They they look a bit tall for boar. Are you sure they are not uh, men on horseback? Of course not. Perhaps some other animal are resting on the boar. Other animals resting on the boar? uh, Like what? Flamingos, perhaps. Really, sire? Flamingos resting on a wild boar in, in Bordeaux? What was that, Captain? Yes, sire. I'm sure it is uh, flamingos resting on wild boar. Um, I forgot that they, they tend to do that in this season. Very good. Uh, now, take this letter to the coward. You are big yellow chicken, big scaredy cat. Give me back, Sicily. I had it first. Also, you smell. Love, Charles. Ah, strong word, sire. Uh, that's the kind of man I am. Also, I said love, so he wouldn't feel so bad. Off we go.
0: I'm
1: going
0: to leave that so everybody hears you. I will. Sentire Media
3: Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Centiti Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.